Welcome back to another episode of Friendly Shadows. This time we have an indie label owner uh, named Mike and a longtime musician and musician supporter, Nikki. Let's get right to it. you coming to the shadows and uh and i was just wanting to know you know if you could just tell me why why a record <laughs> why a record label that's, that's an amazing question well first of all thank you for inviting me it's an absolute pleasure um and uh yeah it's, it's been quite exciting seeing the, the the whole shadows side of the kinders pop up and see what you're doing i've really enjoyed the blog and stuff um the, the bits that i've read so far so yeah thank you why that's such a great question <laughs> so i think for me personally this is something that i have been talking about and doing bits of for about 20 years so i remember when i was um even longer than that i remember when i was 14 i put on a gig which was my band at the time and some other bands that went to the same school uh, or in the same local area and i remember at the end of it saying to someone it was really good it's probably it's, it's one of those where because everyone's young right their parents give them money to go out and you can charge what you like you just rent out like a little village hall or town hall or whatever and you charge a little bit for the tickets and then you pay all the bands and you come away with it. You go, wow, I've got more money than I've ever had in my life. Even though it's, you know, nothing now, it wouldn't pay for a thing, but you have no bills and, and everyone's parents gives them money to buy stuff with. And at the end of it, I remember going, wow, we should set up our own record label. And, um, and I didn't do it because I was 14 or 15 or whatever age I was. And then for a long time, I, I just kept doing stuff. Like I couldn't not be in music so I've always played in bands I've always put shows on because I wanted to get good gigs for my band and I couldn't stand going through middlemen all the time stuff like that I we you know we always printed our own CDs and you know we we made handmade CDs at one point we had them manufactured when we got into our 20s and we had a little bit more money did some tapes once toyed with various ideas and just kind of you know did management for other bands and you know video production all the sorts of things that you sort of do or get involved in as a label I've done before and I guess uh, just before covid hit i made a new year's resolution in january 2020 and i said this is the year my wife was pregnant with our second child my oldest um was 
eight at the time so he was a bit more grown up i just thought if i don't do this i will continuously find excuses not to like i'll just go oh, i don't have time uh, so i just thought fuck it i'm gonna do it um, and then covid hit and so i didn't do anything for most of that year but what i did was lots and lots of research i spoke to other people that ran labels i spoke to other artists bands musicians i uh, spoke to venues and uh, graphic designers people in the music scene generally and just kind of said what do you think the purpose of a record label is now some people said there isn't one, which is fair enough. And some people gave me some ideas and thoughts on what they wanted. And lots of people go, oh, you know, I want a big advance and lots of studio recording time. And you kind of go, well, that's probably not going to happen because I don't have any money. So that's, that's not a thing. <laughs> but um, but yeah, what are the things that are missing? And it comes down to we want someone on our side. And also we're musicians, so we hate marketing. We just want to create things and then let the rest of it happen. And unfortunately, you have to be a salesperson uh, to be a successful musician now as well, um, in, in, in some regard at least. And so... I kind of just took all of the experience and background and things that I'd built up. I didn't know it all. I still don't know it all. I'm still learning things every single day. But kind of went, okay, this is what my vision for this is. And this is how I want to do it. And I don't care how it's done normally or has been done before. I think this will work. And I'm just going to try it. So I think the short answer to your question is I, I, I felt like I couldn't not do it. I just had to. It just took me a long time to figure out what the version of it that I wanted to do was, if that makes sense. You know, I can relate to that. My uh, friendly shadows has been the same way for me. I first started it two years ago and then realized I couldn't keep up with the workflow with the equipment right. I had. One thing I've always been curious about is a label and the way you interact with bands. What is one thing you would say that you tell them a lot? <laughs> It, it probably changes per artist, right? Because different artists are good at different aspects of what we do. So we I don't have a fixed remit. There are certain things, that's not completely true. There are certain things that we do that, that make this a label and not just, you know, a support group. <laughs> but you end up kind of being very you get very close to people you have to work with people that you you feel that you can be close to and work with on a personal level as well as a professional level or at least that's the way i've found that i do it best so the things that you sort of are constantly repeating are different because it's based on everyone's personalities so before we before we engage with an artist or well, before we agree to work with an artist and put a release out. And part of what we do is we obviously put releases out. We do a lot of the marketing and the build up and we try and get lots of buzz and enthusiasm and, and all of that. And we use the, the kind of weight of the community that we've built to help amplify the voice and all of those sorts of things. Most people buy into that vision quite quickly. So there's not really a lot of explaining and, you know, contract negotiations and all that, because I'm, I'm just like, it's the same for everyone. This is how it works. And if you're in and you get it and you want to be part of it, then this is how it works. And you will see the benefit and I will see some benefit. And if you don't, just it's fine. We, you know, we'll, we'll try and work on that. And you know, so far, everyone has. But if, if there's anything wrong with it, uh, you know, I'm not tying you in for years and years or any of this sort of stuff. So most of the normal worries that people have with the record label, we quash before we even start the conversation because the way we approach things is slightly different to how a lot of people do it. So the most common questions I end up answering are things like, 
do you think I should do this? Or what, what, shall I write a tweet about this? Shall I do a video about this? And the answer is always yes. It's just like, just do it. Just just try it and go for it. There's no right or wrong way of doing it. As long as no one comes up with any ridiculous idea that will just, you know, lose them, fans and interest and everything else. The answer is always yes. So the most common questions are normally people seeking reassurance. And I, I think the reason for that is most indie artists work alone, like, or in a band, they work with a few people. So you self-release, you self-promote, you you book your own shows, you do whatever. And you do your own videos and sometimes you do your own art and absolutely everything. And it can be quite alienating. It can be quite lonely. And, you know, for me, the purpose of a label is to help you double your efforts. It's like reaching new audiences, developing your own skills and giving you that sense of community and support to kind of encourage creativity is what we offer. So most of the questions and things that I'm constantly answering from artists are, what do you think about this? Because it's very collaborative. And like I said, the answer is always, yeah, just go for it. <laughs> or maybe it's still like, well, why don't we do this, this and this and try that and then go for it. So it's probably not a very interesting answer, but it's genuinely kind of, it's almost like giving people self-belief is, is a massive part of my job and helping them maximize their potential and, and and just go for things if that makes sense that makes a lot of sense because you see a pervasive theme on twitter or any social media as artists seeking should i release an album or should i release a EP? right exactly and and so there's this constant reassurance that you're giving people on twitter to just find what you like and be yourself and and do that that's what people are going to like so i totally i totally get that and i want to know along yeah. that general general theme because i feel like you have your finger on the pulse of a lot of <laughs> uh what's going on in, in indie music especially on twitter you know i see you a lot and i was just wondering what are artists worried about right now what's going on that 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 artists bring to you that are like hey this is really concerning me almost everything is <laughs> the answer to that so yeah, there, there are there are big global issues that everyone is worried about anyway and if you're an artist you know i i feel as an artist and as someone who's worked with a lot of artists through this and, and for many years before you know, we wear our hearts on our sleeve most of the time we tend to be even the even the people that are quite introverted and would regard themselves as shy just by writing music and putting it out and asking one person to listen to it you're you're really wearing your heart on your sleeve so there comes a lot of worry and anxiety um and pressure that you put on yourself so you know there are there are big things that affect all of us at a kind of more granular level the the most common things are a mix of you know how do i get people to listen to this how do i uh you know if, if i'm confident enough which most people are deep down even if they don't want to admit it most people are confident enough to believe that their music should be heard by more people and it's a completely fair thing to say and i think um i don't know if it's i don't think it's just a british thing i think it's a global thing but particularly you know we don't like shouting about ourselves i'm irish right i know i don't sound irish but all my family is irish so i don't have that walking on eggshells thing that the british traditionally have where they they don't like to to talk about themselves too much or do things in a certain way or they have that fear of what other people think i mean i literally don't care but the the most common thing i see is everyone worrying and having all this anxiety about all these things now some of that crops up in 
how do I get more people to hear my music? Some of that crops up in, you know, is this good enough? Other times it comes with, uh, oh, I've been offered this thing. And if I pay you know, $20, they can put me on this playlist. And it, it, should I do it? I'm not sure. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, and all these kind of like things. Um, we take away a lot of the, you know, how do I print CDs? Well, there's a whole process for that. And we just, that's part of what we do. That's that's part of what makes us a label um, is manufacturing. I run a very small warehouse from this room that I'm sitting in, which I didn't necessarily realize I was going to end up doing, but that's essentially how that works. So distribution and manufacturing and all that we take away, but it becomes about, you know, should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? What will people think about this? And it's just anxiety. Um, and the short answer is, you know, for a lot of these things, it's just like you have to go with like I don't the, the paying for things thing is ridiculous. You shouldn't be paying to be on playlists or to have people write about you or you know, no one should be doing any sort of payola. Um, but that comes with, well, is this a scam or is this legitimate? Or this looks real, but I'm not sure, or they want this, or should we do this? And sometimes you make your own financial worries as well. You know, should I spend some money on an advert? And you kind of have to work through, you know, the business side of things, the return on investment, all that sort of stuff for people spending money on things uh, is this good enough are enough people listening to my music and then the big global things are you know the world is terrible right now and I don't know if anyone's interested in my own you know self-loathing musings about the world that I've written into a three and a half minute song uh, or this story I want to tell about you know this thing or whatever because actually you know there's there's a war on and there's a financial crisis the cost of living and whatever it is and the thing is there'll always be a crisis right there'll always be something I mean to worry about and I think what what a lot of my job is is just going back around with people and going if you feel like this about anything so do loads of other people and actually what you're doing is relatable and in some ways and often is helping people deal with the shit show that is the world sometimes it's it's just something that we can all relate to and deal with so i realize it's a bit of a mixed up long answer because it's so varied but there's there's big things and there's little things but they all effectively tie into and kind of become you know what people are worried about is their own anxiety and their own struggle with whether or not such artist struggle of whether or not I should and could and will keep doing this is just a constant battle that people have because they create reasons, small or big reasons, um, not to or to worry about things. So I, I think, if I'm honest, I think a lot of the conversations I have are about building confidence with people and having conversations and you know reassurance and also just bigging people up and going, look. I mean, I just posted this morning a CD to Australia and a CD to Japan. I think that's insane. Like that's, I think, I think that's crazy. I don't know how these people have found us or where or you know, what interested them. I have no idea what that buying journey looks like, but to be able to text the artist this morning and go, Hey, did you know I've just posted a CD to Australia and Japan for you? And to see her reaction to go, Oh my God, <laughs> I was, I was busking in my local town yesterday and now we're doing this. It's that, that is a, um huge win for me in terms of uh, being able to to shout about what we do so it, it, relieving worries is a huge part of what i do but all the worries that come down to the anxieties we impose upon ourselves because we're tumultuous creative people i suppose <laughs> <laughs> tell me about what's your label mike tell me about what's uh what's coming out uh what you're excited about Tell me about some holiday stuff that you're allowed to talk about. What What's going on over at Lights and Lines? Oh, yeah, cool. Well, so for, I guess for people that don't know, we effectively do two things. Um, and although they are linked, 
sometimes they are effectively separate so we're we're a record label and a music collective and this was a a deliberate decision to you know create both of these things and the, the difference is really simple right and we've got things coming out on both which is why i'm just explaining the context so the the label part of it is an exercise in curation there are artists that i like and I want to work with. And selfishly, I just really want to put their music out because I believe that more people should hear it and it's excellent and the world is a better place for having more eyes and ears on these people, right? So that's a that's a curation exercise. And across the label, we've just come out of a, a series of singles we put out over the summer, some of which was brand new artists, some of which were uh, second, third uh, releases from uh, our existing roster. And so we've kind of, I do singles over the summer. This was the first time I've done it, but I did singles over the summer because I feel like it just, I don't know, something about a single that feels like it fits with a summer vibe. And I tend to do albums over the kind of autumn, winter, spring, sort of fall, winter, spring. We've just come out of that. We've released an EP by Crushed by Pimps, who are kind of a post-punk, noisy. I love me some pimps. Yeah, <laughs> and they're a cool trio. They do some kind of proggy stuff, and they, you know, they're kind of weird and cool. And um, so we've released an EP that's just come out, which is called Battle of Britain Memorial Sausage, which has a whole story behind it about the ridiculous name. We've just also released Emily Lier, who's a brand new artist. She's actually someone I met at a face-to-face event, music networking event near where I live. I was um, asked to sort of do a bit on, like there was a sort of panel interview thing on stage, and I was a obviously because I own a label and I was asked to do it. Um, so I did it. She approached me afterwards. And the thing is like hundreds of people like talk to you and go, oh, I'd like to be on your label. And normally you sort of say, you know, okay, what do you want and why? And normally it doesn't work out because they want ridiculous things and, and don't know why they want it. And they could do most of it themselves. Uh, but we had this really interesting and sensible conversation where she just kind of answered some of these questions in ways that people had not answered them before. And I was like, okay, send me music and let's see. And I was blown away by it. It was absolutely outstanding. It's just her and a ukulele and the thing is she sounds like tracy chapman um and she plays a ukulele and it's a combination that sounds like how what is this and how does it work and it's just beautiful and amazing and i love it we've just put out her album and i'm doing a lot of work on that but from that we've got an album coming out every three weeks i think it is apart from over december because it's all christmas and whatever but an album coming out uh, every three weeks with a december break until may next year so we've got new grim 17 we've got we walk the earth and rebel tramp who both won we did a songwriting expose thing that we did where we got everyone to write and record an album uh, in a month or an ep in a month uh, so we've got both the winners for that coming out because the prize was we'll we'll release something and uh, new goes a good speed that i'm really excited about he was our first release our first artist he really helped you know kick this off and get things going and, and help me kind of shape and formalize some ideas there's sean panda nicholson that's a debut album um he is an incredible scottish singer songwriter with the most amazing voice and a brilliant interesting way of writing songs we've got a, a folk project that i'm sort of part of but it's a collaboration you um, did a bit on it as well i think uh kelly arwin valida and the wandering lights um you i think you're involved in that oh no wait, no you're involved in our christmas song weren't you? a christmas song yeah 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 sorry yeah uh, and then we've also got mikey J. so so from now till may there's a whole load of stuff that's kind of the label bit right the the signed artists talk for hours on each of them and i'm happy to but uh but that's kind of the first thing but the second thing is the collective part of it is we it's about involving you know independent musicians 
everywhere like you don't have to be signed you don't even have to want to be signed to the label um to be involved in some of the projects and sometimes they cross over but the songwriting competition we did you know 50 people signed up for that roughly 52 or something i think it was um and obviously not everyone you know completed it but it, there was 50 artists there who wanted to try and write and record an ep or an album in a month none of those were like the prize was we would sign someone which we did but no one was doing that because they're part of the label they're doing that because it's part of the the community part the collective part of the label which is independent music uh, independent artists supporting each other and doing things together and the world is a better place as a result of it because i think 26 or 28 people completed that which means there's 28 new albums and eps either released or being released over the next however long that the world is better off for hearing in my opinion and um, that were all written and recorded in a month and then they've spent a bit of time you know mastering and tidying them up and all the rest of it afterwards so we run projects like that we run live shows um, and we do like compilations so the christmas single was a great example of something where we asked you we had a phil who wrote the song he wanted me to put together a band to play the song so i asked you guys a couple of other people who but off the top of my head i can't remember who was involved in that because it's so long ago now nearly a year ago but a few people involved in it and um, let's put this thing out and the idea is you know that's a uh, it's a Christmas song, right? So it didn't, you know, did okay last year. It had a bit of buzz, but every year, hopefully more and more people hear that and add it to their Christmas playlist. And that could be something that lasts for life, but that's just a collaboration effort of people, a huge kind of manufacturing production operation to get everything lined up and ready and printed and arrived and then delivered to all of our subscribers and anyone that orders it and all of that sort of stuff that goes along with it. So between now and May and, um, I guess if this is a podcast, you could be listening any time, but this is October, October 22. <laughs> so between October 22 and May 23, we'll have released something like 10 albums, two compilations, possibly a single, probably re-release the Christmas single, and have run a live show, a songwriting competition, and possibly something else I'm working on as well. So lots, we're busy, is the short version of all of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I really admire about you is your tendency to naturally cultivate community and and mm. I, I really appreciate that and it's it's almost like you're a gardener of musicians and they just kind of grow under your wing you know and I see some musicians even getting better with their time spent with you not better so much as their music I don't I don't 
I don't, I'm not really a judge of that, but I mean, sure. talking about, they just seem like they're better. I want you to talk about your podcast and how that's in, been incorporated or how that started and how, and if that has anything to do with the music that you come across for your label. Oh, cool. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think that's, I think I'm really pleased that you said that because I think people are, like better is a good word. It's a, it's a very subjective word, but it, ultimately it's a positive thing, right? And I agree with you. I think people are getting better at not just writing and recording and releasing music, but also talking about it and sharing it and, and supporting each other's music, which is all part of it. And community is a huge part of, of what I do and, and what I'm interested in and focused on. And I, I, will, I will answer your question in a second, but just on that point, the, the interesting thing is, when I set this out, one of the key things was I wanted to get people to buy into it early so that we had kind of seed money effectively, right, to start. So people can subscribe to the label, and if they subscribe, whether it's you can do a digital subscription or a CD subscription, if it's CD, we send you a copy of everything we release for a year in kind of two or three packages to save on postage and help the environment and stuff. So loads of people have got stuff early now that we haven't even put on pre-order, which is really cool. But that money goes into a pot which pays for our manufacturing. And what that allows me to do is develop the artists because I don't care. I mean, I care, but I don't mind if something doesn't sell because all that says to me is not enough people know about this yet. Not it's not good enough because I know it's good enough. Not enough people know about this yet. Um, so that means that we need to work on how we build up and snowball that person's uh, visibility between now and the next release so you see people like goes a good speed and grim 17 and, and you'll see it with people like emily lier as well um whose fan bases are all at different levels when they start on the journey but have all grown over time along with the label so that kind of being better thing is really important to me. The podcast, to answer your question, that's where I sidetracked this slightly. The podcast is a huge part of my life now. I can't claim any credit for starting the podcast. The podcast is called New Music Saturday. Uh, my good friend, Dr. Baines, who's over in Canada, started that podcast probably about three or four years before I even knew him. And the reason I got involved is about seven or eight years ago, Mark, one of my, a band that I was in, or I'm still in technically, released an EP. And uh, we sent it to loads of people. We did quite well. I think it was played on about 250 radio stations and uh, places. And one of them was uh, was Dr. Baines' podcast, New Music Saturday. Um, and he really liked it. And he was the only one that week after week played every single track. I think that was a four-track EP. So over four weeks, he played a track a week, which I thought was really cool. And so I just thanked him. I was just like, hey, that's, that's really cool. I'm really glad you enjoy it. And he always said really nice things about it. And he had different guest hosts and things like that at the time. And we got chatting and he said, do you want to come on for an interview? I was like, yeah, I'd love to. And as you can tell, because we're now like 25 minutes into this and, and I've probably hardly let you get a word in, I like to talk about music. I can talk about music <laughs> all day. <laughs> so, um, so we had a really good chat and I really enjoyed the interview. And I think that was for our first EP. And I think the second EP was didn't come out long after that, or I can't remember the exact timeline of this, but if, we had another conversation around uh, the second release. And at the time, he was looking for a new permanent co-host. And he just said, look, do you want to give this a go? Do you want to do this with me on a Saturday night? You know, you know the format. We we get submissions. We play songs that we like and we talk about them. And I was like, that sounds like my dream. That's that's like better than a poker night or whatever people do. Uh, I would love to do that. I'm in England. He's in uh, Canada. So there's a five-hour time difference. So we started the show at that time. We used to start at midnight my time, but it was a much shorter show. It went on for, it was still in two parts, but it was like two hours. So by two in the morning, I was kind of done. And what happened was 
suddenly it got really really popular and people just started submitting loads and loads and loads of music and we realized that we had to make the show longer and also more people wanted interviews which obviously takes up time and you you don't want to necessarily reduce the amount of tracks you play or anything like that too much so we ended up making the format much much longer so we now start at 10 p.m in the uk which is 5 p.m his time we go through for a couple of hours take a break and then do a part two for another few hours so i'm normally kind of by 3 a.m i'm now in bed but i'm starting two hours early so it's kind of five hours on a saturday evening slash sunday morning um of my life and we play 30 usually tracks by artists from anywhere independent artists from all over the world who've played people from uh, us uk australia um also all over europe places like israel um have submitted tunes mexico which is really cool like places i don't know anything about the local music scene and somehow they found us and started sending us tunes that kind of um you know what you were talking about you know people getting better and the confidence and the community and all of those things that tie in new music Saturday has been a huge part of that community. Um, because you know, we, we openly and proactively talk about all of the music that we love. Uh, it's a live show. It's not scripted. You know, we, we make mistakes and we swear and we, we do things that we shouldn't do. And we do, you know, silly things and there are technical errors and all that sort of stuff. And no one cares because they just enjoy the fact that it's two guys effectively doing what they would do if they just sat in a bar with a beer and talked about music for a few hours. It's just we're doing it live to the world and playing tunes and people just love it. And we love it. You know, we love it. Otherwise we wouldn't do it, but we love the fact that people love it as well, which is a good kind of motivator to keep doing it. And I think it's a huge part of like, it, it, it was pre lights and lines. that I started doing that, although the ideas around lights and lines were forming and there was a few other things under a, um, under the lights and lines name that I was doing at the time it just wasn't a label but ultimately it's become you know a way of kind of sharing at scale all of the things that we like and it's very self-indulgent when I say that out loud and I'm fully aware of that and I don't care um, because you know if people don't like the sorts of things that we like and they're not interested in we have a very broad taste and a broad range of stuff but not everyone's going to like it right that's fine you just don't like it do your own thing there's nothing stopping anyone doing any of these things but from our point of view it's a it's another exercise in curation it's another exercise in amplifying the voice and and, you know just sharing more music with people and it's also it's a it's for me it's a huge advocate it's a it's a realization of the thought that i have that genre is completely fluid taste is completely subjective i don't care if you're in a metal band or a country act or a you know, person with a beautiful voice and a ukulele. It the way that I recognize music and the way that I care about music is about how you make me feel. And every single song that we play on that podcast every single week makes me feel something and makes Dr. Bones feel something. And that is why we play it. And if we can get that across to people, and that is in any way, you know, either inspiring to other musicians or um, you know, a lot of people kind of will jump on band camp and buy stuff after we play it when they hear it and stuff like that. If that helps support musicians and if that little, you know, someone spends ten dollars on an album that they wouldn't have done otherwise, you know, that's not gonna do much for you financially. I recognize that. But what it might do is just give you that little bit of extra motivation, that little bit of inspiration to try it again and keep going. And if more people do that, the world, as I said earlier, is a better place for it. So I find it really inspiring. And it's a huge part of the kind of my way of thinking around community has stemmed or has been informed by, let's say, the podcast for quite a long time now. And what we've done with Lights and Lines is really trying to expand on that mentality and really, you know, bring all of it together. I don't care where people join in 
doesn't even matter what platform, although I'm mostly active on Twitter, but you know, what platform or what level at which you join in or how often you join in or whatever, or even if you just watch or do nothing, I don't mind. It's just constantly there are enough people now that someone will join in with something and that makes it better because more people are talking about all of this great music that exists. We see each other a lot, basically, or I yeah. qu- quotey fingers see each other a lot. Various social media, you know, you're doing your thing and I've got my thing. But a lot of times our things, you know, they cross over because we 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 recognize a need for some of these artists names to get out there. Wrapping up the interview, what I want to ask you is I'd be really grateful if you could just tell us a little bit about let's just say Mike is the artist. Okay. And I'm an interviewer asking Mike, the artist, what, what was, what did it sound like growing up? I love these questions. Uh, This is brilliant. Uh, So my dad is a big music fan. Generally, he just loves music. Um, I always describe it as my, my dad introduced me to Led Zeppelin and my mom introduced me to Simply Red. (laughs) And I like both. Although I'm more on the Zeppelin side these days, I must admit. My dad, my mom and dad's you know, record collection isn't enormous, but it's very, very eclectic. And in the, um, my dad had quite a large CD collection, actually, kind of uh, in the 90s when I was growing up. He, I think he was buying a lot of stuff he had when he was like 18 on CD again. So, But he was also, he introduced me to stuff that was coming out you know, then and there. So I discovered Blur and Oasis because of my dad. I discovered Supergrass because of my dad. And he took me to see some of these bands, Dandy Warhols, uh, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, I think I introduced him to, and then he took me to see them live. But also kind of, you know, old school, or older bands, let's say, he introduced me to as well. I like Led Zeppelin. Uh, it's a great example. He, uh, in about 2002, I think it was, he said to me and my brother, my brother's three and a half years younger than me, and he said, uh, guys, Motorhead are touring. I'm like, okay, cool. He said, we've got to go and see Motorhead. Um, I, I sort of knew the name. I knew the band. I knew the brand, funnily enough, more than the music. Because, you know, Motorhead's such an iconic kind of visual brand as well as um, a musical um, brand, if you like. I mean, I'm like, okay. And he goes, I, I saw them loads when I was younger. So, okay. And he said, uh, the thing is, Lemmy... Uh, is just an absolute wreckhead, right? He is not going to last much longer. This could be the last tour he ever does. Like that man is not going to live into his old age. Uh, <laughs> and he's like telling us all these stories about these drugs. Then he did and all the rest of it. <laughs> okay, all right, dad. But anyway, so he took us to Motorhead. Absolutely amazing. Loved it. Loudest, best show I've ever been to. And um, for the next 15 years until Lemmy actually did die, my dad took us to see Motorhead every single year. <laughs> that <they came> <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> because every year it's like, it might be our last opportunity to see Motorhead. <laughs> so we went to see Motorhead. I must have seen Motorhead about 20 times in 15 years. It was ridiculous, but really, really good. Um, and it was very sad. The last time we saw um, them, they were on a, a big, a uh, fairly big kind of festival show, but they had a quite an early slot. Um, it was only about a half hour, 35 minutes set. Um, and having seen the band so much, you can kind of tell that something had changed a little bit. Like he, I don't think he'd been very well recently, Lemmy. Um, and it was only a couple of months after that he died, and we had tickets to see him in. I think it's the January or the February, and he died in the December before. And we kind of knew, like we just well, after seeing him a few months before he actually died, and we kind of went, I don't know if we'll see him again. Like he just doesn't look that well anymore. It's really really sad. So growing up, I had all of that, right? So, you know, big, noisy metal things. My dad also introduced me to bands like Black Sabbath. And then as I 
started to get a bit older so i was born in the mid 80s right so i discovered bands like nirvana after kurt cobain was dead because uh, i was um eight or nine when he died um so when i was a teenager i started discovering bands like nirvana and i was getting my dad into them and then my mate discovered iron maiden and my dad didn't really do that because that was that period was when he was raising me and my brother right so he was into music as before that and then got back into it in kind of the 90s because you have kind of well you know as a dad you have kind of what eight years of your life where you just can't do anything because the children are like oh my god i've got kids and i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> so i think he went through that so he missed all the 80s bands like new wave of heavy metal bands and stuff like that so we introduced him to all that but then that got him thinking about like punk bands and stuff so we just this constant dialogue and all the while my mum's going well i really like simply red and paul simon and you know the uh, the commitments and all this sort of stuff we're like this is also amazing so we're kind of all getting this really really eclectic taste my dad introduced me to the chemical brothers he likes electronic music as well and all sorts of stuff so music was a huge huge part of my life he also plays um the guitar he plays a bit of harmonica uh, he plays a cuban guitar because he went to cuba for a holiday once and and then came back and was like i'm buying a cuban guitar it's like this well it's three three sets of double strings like a 12 string but with only three it's tuned i think it's in c tuning or something um he plays the accordion when he was 30 he i think he had some sort of oh my god i'm turning 30 crisis and decided to learn the violin so he plays a bit of fiddle um so hugely inspirational so my childhood sounded like everything like new and old and uh, and then i kind of you know through that i became inspired to discover music and i would share it with my dad and also my friends and i was always the one making mixtapes for my friends and stuff like that uh, because also the time i grew up in was the time where records were there but just about sort of going away uh, cassettes were um, like it was 50-50 whether you bought a cassette or a CD single at the time that I bought loads and loads of singles when I was kind of eight, nine or whatever. Uh, but you also later on in the 90s, you had mini discs and then suddenly you had uh, MP3s as well. So you had all these different formats and then there was you know illegal downloading and now obviously it's all streaming and everything else. But we kind of went through all of these different versions of ways of discovering music um both in my peer group just my age group generally and my friends but also my dad because he'd go oh i'm buying loads of cds now and there's a remaster of this and have you heard this and he would stand me in between speakers and go listen to the way jimmy page has mixed that on this remaster <laughs> thing and you go, all right cool and he's <laughs> just like listen to it go from right to left to left to right um so he he was just so and is he's still i say was he's still alive um but he is so passionate and um just amazing about music i don't think i could help be interested in music um like i don't remember not being interested in music at any point and we'd go on holidays and he'd do like holiday playlists or at one point he had one of those cars with a cd changer in it so he'd load up six cds and that was your you know drive when you're on holiday he'd suddenly seamlessly because he'd put stuff in for us and for my mom and for himself so he'd go from like black sabbath to you know some irish folk band to like the commitments to um you know i bought a madonna cd when we were on holiday so that came ray of light i think it was or something. so that came on after like you know motorhead or something it was just crazy it was a ridiculous mix of music but uh, again it's why i don't really care about genres and whatever it's just like if something is good and it makes you feel good then it's a good tune right and equally there's loads of terrible music out there mostly in the mainstream because you know people don't want to upset the apple cart and let people dare to have feelings anymore but the reality is there's loads of bad stuff as well but you just ignore it it's your taste if you don't like it just don't listen to it but most of the independent stuff i hear right now i'm just blown away by because that never existed at that level without you know pre-internet 
you know, you know, as you know, right? It, it was right. it was much harder to just you'd go and see local bands, but otherwise you wouldn't know. Like you know, if, if I'm here in Brighton, I wouldn't know necessarily there was a band in Manchester that were taking off um, that might have become Oasis, uh, but I knew who I can't even remember their name. <laughs> it was a band that wrote a really famous song, and I don't think did anything ever uh, ever else again. But that um, "Dancing in the Moonlight" uh, song, Top Loader. Um, don't know if that went past the uk or um across the ocean but uh, that was a huge song but i saw that band just like in a local club um loads of my mates saw royal blood before they were famous because they just used to jam in the same rehearsal studio we did you know these things exist but with the internet and everything else you can discover that at scale which is incredible so um that's pretty amazing uh, anyway sorry i've waffled on again but yeah um my childhood was noisy you could say that's the summary of that <laughs> I really appreciate you bringing up your dad. You know, my dad is an important part of my upbringing and my musical taste. And, and I kind of feel like if my dad was your dad, you would have made him really, really, really proud by kind of being, (laughs) by kind of being um, a father figure to all these independent musicians and helping them find their light and show it off. And I'm, I'm always perpetually impressed by some of the stuff you come up with and some of the stuff you do. And I really appreciate you coming on the shadows today. Oh, thank you so much. That's that's such a kind thing to say. And do you know what? I I really, really appreciate you bringing me on. I think, you know, I get in a lot of trouble sometimes in places like Twitter because I I speak my mind. Um, And I don't think everyone has to agree with everything, but everything I'm saying is just based on mistakes I've made myself. So when I talk about not paying for to play shows or to have people review your music or whatever um it's because i've done it i've made that mistake as a young as a young man in, in a young band trying to reach things and and ultimately it's just you're just giving someone money and not reaching anyone you're not seeing any return on it and when i talk about some of these you know playlist scams and you know whatever it is sometimes it upsets people um like that um submit hub is just like i could talk just what a ridiculous idea yeah. um complete you know but people go oh I've, I've, i don't like you said that because i've sort of spent a bit of money on it it's like i get it I've, I've done it um i'm not saying it from a from a point of no context um so any of that kind of <laughs> fatherly advice as you put it or whatever <laughs> um is it's just based on experience and my experiences are my own i've just had a lot of them because i've thrown myself into a lot of things my wife always says i have far too many fingers and too many pies um but you know i always make sure i buy her a nice birthday present um (laughs) uh, no no she's she's very very supportive she's an artist right she's a painter so she's very she gets it you can't not do it sometimes right um but yeah all of that stuff is just you know i I will share my own experiences whether people want to hear them or not and i will support the things that i think deserve support because if someone's shouting about you it's better than no one shouting about you and i'm in a position now where more people listen than they ever did before which is great um but that doesn't mean my opinions are um better or right or or wrong for that matter they're they're just the same it's just you take the bits that you like and roll with it um it's my kind of philosophy on it um and just lastly i i love your music just so you know and i know i've said this to you on on email and your know, chat or whatever but you guys that album was fantastic and the most notable thing for me or one of the most notable things for me was some of the songs that you excluded from that album were amazing but it didn't miss them because the album was so good and i thought that was really incredible like i think am i right in saying smoke and mud's not on the album is it for example um 
or did i can't remember if it was in the end but uh, there was a couple of songs anyway i was just like wow that's not even on there and i don't miss it because it's so good so i just want to give a big shout out to you as well because everything you do and all the conversations you have with people and also all the music you create is absolutely amazing dude so congratulations to you guys because you're doing an amazing job and without people like you um i don't think this you know I, i just think the world needs people like you so thank you well that's awesome thank you too mike Wow, what a great interview with Mike. Thank you so much. And sit tight. We've got Nikki Chaos in part two. You're not going to want to miss it. Nikki's a really interesting person I met when I was up in New York. She is a music supporter. And what I want to focus in on this show is, let's say you have a favorite band and you don't know what to do. Well, that is, in my mind, Nikki's specialty. So I'm going to hand it over to you. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself and some of the things you do? I've been playing music for over 30 years in the local music scene in the capital region, which is upstate New York, Albany, Troy, Saratoga Springs. I met you in Mechanicville, which is in that same vicinity. And what I think is really important about music, if you want to perform and play out and be connected to your scene, is to support your favorite bands. As a musician, you have people who influence you and that could include national acts, but it could also include local acts. And it's important to pay attention to your genre and get connected to your scene. So a lot of the work that I do right now is really focused on rebuilding our scene after COVID. We obviously all took a big hit And it wasn't that great to begin with before COVID. We were struggling. And I think there's a a big debate around, can the scene come back? When I say the scene, I mean live music scene in this case, is people caring about it and putting in the legwork. It's a combo effort between the venues and the bands and the fans to all show up in the ways that they can. So that's really been my focus for the past few years, because uh, as a musician myself, if there's no scene, 
then it's really hard to find your live audience. So it's really important to me that we come together and work on this. I think it's possible, but it's just, we're just starting to get our legs under us right now. You know, I admire that a lot because a lot of the work I do is kind of trying to assimilate people online to say, Hey, this guitar player is great. And I really try to nurture and develop this Twitter scene and anyways, not anyways, that's one of the things I admire about you. You know, your strength and your strength is the social media angle. Like that's not my strength. My strength is the local music scene. So I think I admire, I admire you for similar reasons because you know where your best effort is put into the music scene and that's on social media and all the collaborations you've done of course your recent album amazing and totally done through collaborations so my bigger message to any musician is figure out what you enjoy doing about music there's so many different ways that you can perform or be a part of the music scene and then embrace that and go for it right like do you see what i mean it's been a long road but not really that long, I guess, you know, six years, I guess it took to make that up. <laughs> Only six, you know, some people take longer, but how many people were on it? 23, 23 people. So, you know, six years for 23 people mixing, mastering and getting it out. It's not too shabby. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> what I also wanted to talk to you about is all the other things that you do, like just your personality you know, you were telling me just before we got on that how important emotional support is. And I know that's so true now post-COVID because we all feel kind of tender from being cooped up for so long. Can you talk anything about that? I'd love to. In fact, this is something that really goes kind of beyond music. But for me, because I'm a musician, that's my community. Uh, I'm grateful to be a part of an event at Cafe Lena. I'm not not a part of I'm attending I'm actually getting free hearing protection <laughs> um there's this group of people there's a woman who's a nurse in Saratoga her name is Jill and she's connected with other clinicians providers healthcare providers and working with Cafe Lena to bring a, a health and wellness expo to Cafe Lena uh, basically to help musicians access health screenings have opportunity to get some hearing protection. So here's the funny thing. I can confess, I actually hate going to the doctor. I I really have a lot of anxiety around healthcare in general. I know a lot of friends who don't have insurance. So, oh, it's like, great, I get checked out and there's something wrong, then what do I do? And I was really impressed with Jill and, and what she's doing. And it's a kind of a personal cause of mine as well, because I, in addition to music, I've grown up in the healthcare system. I almost was a nurse and I said, no, I don't think so. This job is way too hard for me. I'll rather, if I F up on stage with bad lyrics, at least I won't kill anybody. So, you know, but I've always been tied to healthcare because I think it's important, both emotional and physical. People don't know how to advocate for themselves or they're afraid to deal with the healthcare system because it's not always the nicest. And then it's, it makes you vulnerable. <laughs> That's the uh, connection to being on stage, actually. 
is when you perform your original music or any music, it's a very vulnerable place to be. Well, when you go to the doctor, you don't get much more vulnerable than some stranger telling you, yeah, you're going to have this problem or that problem. And, you know, so um, I consider myself a whisperer. You know, they've got the dog whisperer that tells people how to train animals. I know the healthcare system. So when I see friends of mine who are in trouble with healthcare, I just try to give them a little advice about how to get through it and take care of themselves. You don't have to, um, here's the funny thing, the, the advice I would give people, you're always in control to ask your providers questions and you get to say if you want or don't want what they're doing. It doesn't hurt to find out what's going on. And, you know, preventative care is almost always easier than the emergency care in ounce of prevention. It's not wrong. So, you know, I really care about my music scene, both on the music side, but also on the side where I know a lot of musicians, you know, they don't have regular jobs. They might not have regular insurance. And there's ways that they can access health care both physical and mental. And it might not be easy and it probably makes people uncomfortable to even deal with those things because we avoid things we don't want to deal with. Not in the shadows. Um, but but if you really want to stick around and, and, and keep sharing your music with us, it's really important that you take care of yourself. So I have this whole self-care thing that I've been working on lately and uh, uh, I'm calling it health literacy, actually. So I'm working on a building that because it's important. <laughs> I am so excited about that. You know, as as often as we try to paint a picture of a, either this struggling artist or this successful artist, we never really talk about, you know, broken ankles or in my case right now, I'm, I have three broken ribs and a little bit of nerve damage, you know, and if I didn't have insurance, you know, I'd be. I'd be pulling my hair out, you know, thank goodness for insurance, you know, and I just feel sorry and, and admire you for wanting to help all those struggling artists out there with uh, little problems like mine. I think that's a real valuable thing that you do. I appreciate that. And, you know, it's something I've done. I actually have a master's degree in healthcare administration, and it's been a passion of mine since the 90s, the early 90s, to make sure people have access to healthcare. And even if you don't have health insurance, many states or hospitals will have ways for you to get what they call charity care. It's a great word, right? Oh, I'd love to get charity. But seriously, dude, if you're hurt, go get the damn charity care. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Get back out there. So um, <clears throat> I think one of the biggest challenges is that people, you know, there's a stigma around asking for help. Or if you don't know the answer and you don't know who to turn to, it can be really frustrating. Like you can make phone calls all day and get wrong answers. I've experienced this myself. I personally have anxiety and PTSD and I'm working through the healthcare system pretty much every day of my life for my own benefit. And uh, it's not easy. It's embarrassing. You feel like super horrible it's emotional i'm already emotional so to have to put myself on the line and ask for help can feel really uncomfortable the sooner you can get past those feelings and and just 
try to keep calling, even if it's just one thing a day, try to pick the one that you think is most important to you and you'll make slow progress towards getting back on track. And I think people just need those reminders. We're not getting enough of that. Um, and so that's part of my job on this planet is to remind people that that's all you need to do in the day to day. So <laughs> who knew? Thanks, universe. I didn't realize that was my job, but I guess it is. <laughs> Great. You know, ironically enough, uh, my interview with you was my one thing I wanted to get done today. And it's funny to hear you say that because I just kept telling myself as crappy as I feel, I want to interview Nikki. So I'm going to get that done today. So I feel like I did something and here we are. And you're, and you just brought that up. <clears throat> That's pretty crazy. It was meant to be, you know, it's funny that you say that because, you know, everybody's emotions, everybody trying to process what's happening. And so the reason that health is important to talk about with musicians for me is that we're an extremely vulnerable part of our population. If you're a person who is drawn to creating music, you have a sensitivity that's like unique in some ways, maybe, I, you know, I just feel that there's a different energy around it, but then there's this other side of it where we get so in our heads about things where we avoid or don't pay attention to our physical side. And then, you know, we can't function. Our society has gotten so good at teaching us how to compartmentalize those things and put them off. And then they become acute problems. They become urgent problems when we could have been nurturing and caring for ourselves all the time. So I think one of the things I'm learning as I grow into my music is that I have to make sure I nurture my health in addition to my music. And I'm really not that great at it, but I'm learning and I'm sharing it so that other people can learn with me and maybe learn to take care of themselves too. Can you talk about a little bit about your musical journey so people might get an idea of uh, what they're in for if they listen to you? You know, with my own music, I've really been doing a lot of songwriting lately, which is awesome. I go through dry spells, but the past, since COVID, like the songs are percolating. I can, I call it my radio in my head. They just pop up, which I'm really grateful to have. And uh, I'm really lucky. I've worked with many different artists and they'll have a melody and lyrics and I can find the chords. I don't really mind it so much. I used to be embarrassed, but I'm like, if the chord sounds good, someone will figure it out. We can pay someone to tell us what the chord is if you don't know and I don't know. So, you know, I, I used to get a little embarrassed about that, but now I don't. Um, so, you know, with my music, I've been doing this original open mic. In fact, I'm so proud of this. It, we call it 518 Homegrown. And, and um, it's not my music. I've been focusing more on promoting other people lately. I'm working on my own stuff behind the scenes. Uh, but for me, it's kind of been important. It's been hard for me to perform on stage. Like I lose my focus and even forget chords of songs that I should know. I had to admit 
that there is too much going on in my personal life to allow me to be the performer that I wanted to present on stage. And there's nothing wrong with taking a break when that moment happens. So I really turned to uh, promoting other musicians in my scene and, and focusing on my scene. You know, not to say I don't perform, and I've had a few shows. I've got one coming up the Saturday before Thanksgiving at Eden Cafe. And that's going to be a really great show because I'm, I'm focusing on that. A lot of my focus is on, on the promotion side because our scene really needs it. And if we don't have a scene, then I have no place to play. Um, you know, we're, we plan on recording an album at some point in a studio. But until then, you know, we'll just be doing Friendly Shadows, trying to get other artists a little bit of spotlight from the shadows. So it's kind of interesting. We're at those points, too, you know. Exactly. You know, I think one of the things that you and Carrie do so well is you're so polished and you've got such great production value um, in everything that you do, which has always made me love. I shouldn't say your music is good. First of all, the music's good. Let's start there. But then you could be consultants for how to put your music out because you both have complementary skill sets. It's always fascinating to me. I'll go back to my 518 Homegrown. In this capital region area, there's a, a big debate around people who play original music versus people who play covers. And the story is that cover bands always turn people out. And that's true. Like, there's no lie. People enjoy music they're familiar with. It's a little harder to get people to listen to a song they've never heard before and engage them. It's just the way our bodies are wired physically, right? But it's not to say it's impossible and or you can't create the environment for it. So one of the things I'm super proud of is since 2018, We've done this thing called 518 Homegrown Originals. We featured a Kintner song on my radio show. But we also have this open mic that is once a month. And the rule is you're only allowed to play original music. And here's the crazy thing. We started in May. And it's in a place. It's not a bar. It's, it's a studio. It's a gallery. We do a potluck. Uh, there's beer and wine, there's other beverages, there's food, and it's been packed every time. And when people show up, they stay the whole time. It's such a brilliant piece of community. But you know what? It took legwork. It took a lot of legwork. So, you know, when people are like, if I do this and it doesn't happen the first time, you kind of got to you know, pound the pavement and really pull people out. I would do pre-signups to make sure people showed up to play, those kinds of things. So um, there is a space in an audience for original music, but I think we've got to start thinking outside the box to, to create that space. And to what you asked about the radio show, which is Land of Chaos on Radio, RadioX.com. Essentially, it's an internet radio station which is awesome for me because I've been known to drop drop an F-bomb every once in a while. So I appreciate not having to worry about being censored 
Um, and I love, you know, all different kinds of music. So they let me play my playlist once a week and it's live. I'll let you get to your radio show now. Everyone, this is Nikki Chaos with us on the Friendly Shadows, and I'm Kelly, and uh, we're going to go take a break now because our ribs hurt. Oh, Kelly, feel better. Thank you so much. What a great interview. I really appreciate you. Take care. Take care. You too. This has been another episode of Friendly Shadows. We want to say a big thank you to both of our guests, Mike and Nikki. You guys were great. And of course, thank you to Kelly for asking all the important questions. Until next time, we'll see you in the shadows.